look back at how the festive season has been celebrated throughout history. And what better person for the task than our medieval expert, Carol Cusack, who lectures in the Religious Studies Department at Sydney University. Hi, Carol, how are you? I'm fine, Angela. How are you today? Good, good. Season's greetings, I have to say. Indeed. Now, uh, when we think about Christmas, of course, we think of it as a Christian uh, celebration. But actually, the date and the time of year and so on goes back further than Christian uh, than Christianity. Isn't that right? Yes, indeed. In fact, the celebration of a midwinter festival, as it is in Europe, because it's a little bit strange here in Australia because we're in the middle of summer, um, there are lots of different midwinter festivals and different deities, gods, that have been associated with them. Well, who, where did the actual date, the 25th of December, who hit upon that? Well, that's the birthday of the Persian god Mithras. Um, some people will, will have known a little bit about him. Uh, anyone who's interested in Roman history will know that he is very popular among the Roman soldiers. He's a very um, masculine, man's kind of cult. He was a young, heroic deity from Persia who fought a battle with a primordial ox or bull-bull, actually, I think. What sort of battle was this? Um, well, it's one of those things. You know how lots of hero gods have an opponent? Apollo fights Typhon the dragon at, at Delphi and various other things like that. Mithras' opponent was the ox. Right. What's interesting is that he's not um, in any sense uh, an evil beast or anything like that. He's actually very noble, but the god is tested in strength and overcomes him. And this is one of the reasons why the cult of Mithras is very popular with uh, soldiers, which is why we find it in the Roman army. And we find temples called Mithraea. Right. All over the Roman world. And 25th December specifically, that day, was his birthday. Right. And so it was celebrated. From what sort of period are we talking here? Well, Mithras is popular in Persia from like, oh, possibly a thousand BC right through. But Mithraism became really popular in the Roman world, and I guess that's what's important for the Christian connection, from maybe 100 BC to about two or 300 of the, the common era. And how was his birthday celebrated? Actually, I'm not too sure about that. The other Roman festival, of course, that comes around this time, uh, which is Saturnalia, I know a little bit more about. Um, and that's interesting because that's a native Roman festival, whereas Mithras is a foreign god, an imported god. Um, Saturn, the Roman deity, he was... Uh, we, we often think of him as connected with the Greek god Kronos, and of course Greek god Kronos is to do with time. That's where we get chronometer and chronology from. But Saturn in Rome was an agricultural deity. Saturnalia, which also was celebrated at the same time as the Mithraic birthday, so in fact Rome uh, at the very end of the year was a sort of complete party happening everywhere, was uh, a time which actually it, it all connects with Christianity quite well because Saturnalia was a festival of um, fertility and plenty and great joy and happiness and it was also a festival where slaves, for example, were, were spontaneously released by generous masters and you know, sort of new freedoms were kind of celebrated. And was there a lot of eating and drinking going on, like we celebrate the Christmas period? Absolutely. I mean, really, the Mithraic rituals, not so much celebration of Mithras' birthday, but when people were initiated into the cult, um, firstly a bull was slaughtered, and then after the initiation ritual, everybody got together and they ate the whole bull, which had been roasted on a sort of spit, and it was all very, very, very um, lavish and... and yummy and Saturnalia the same thing too because Saturn was an agricultural deity uh, and of course it's interesting it's in midwinter which gives you the idea that it's a festival to to encourage a good harvest a good spring to, to break through the, the cold and the, the um, chill the lack of productivity of winter so people yes ate a great deal and, and drank a 
great deal. And they still are, Carol. Oh, well, indeed. <laughs> now, when was the birth of Christ? From what sort of period was that celebrated? Well, from early Christianity, um, people celebrated two great events in Christianity, and they're still the key doctrinal events, and that is Christmas and Easter, of course, one to mark the birth where Jesus comes to earth and therefore the whole redemptive plan kind of comes into action, and the second one, of course, being Easter to mark the resurrection, which is the, um, the promise of immortality for, for all those who have faith. So the connection of Christmas with Saturnalia or... or um, the birthday of Mithras comes a little bit further down the line, you know, maybe at least 150, 200 AD. But um, it's just an accommodation. Christianity, when it was spreading amongst the Roman world, picked up quite a lot of Roman characteristics and customs. I know that uh, it's interesting, a lot of people who only understand the Christian tradition think of it as being unique. And indeed, all religions are unique to an extent, which I know is logically impossible, unique is unique, but still, Christianity picks up a lot of um, characteristics from, from other um, religions. And uh, Moran, uh, for example, Marina Warner wrote a book called Alone of All Her Sex, which is all about the cult of the Virgin Mary and how she acquires some of the characteristics of the great goddesses. Oh, that's interesting. World. And similarly, the big feast days of the Mediterranean world, the Christians had to have something to feast, you know, too. So they had their holiday. And, of course, our English word holiday comes from Holy Day. Oh, right, of course. Where, where does the term Yuletide come from? Well, that's interesting, too, because that brings in another group of people. Um, you know, everybody knows that when Christianity starts growing through the Roman Empire, the poor old Roman Empire is falling. We've all heard of the fall of the Roman Empire and seen innumerable bad movies on the subject. Indeed, I believe there's one with, with um, Gina Lollobrigida in it that I have memories of. And this <laughs> a whole lot of people who were called the barbarian tribes, who were mostly Germans, just came pouring into the Roman world, partly as mercenaries and soldiers working in the army, partly as invaders, partly as peaceful settlers. And by about, oh, I suppose 350, 370, there were huge numbers of them in, in the world. And um, by the end of the 5th century, they'd completely taken over. Now, the Goths, who were probably the most important of those early Roman, early uh, German tribes, some of the other ones that become important later on are people like the Burgundians and the Franks and the Vandals, which still give us our word vandalism. <laughs> people didn't cope too well with these guys. And Where did the Vandals come from? Well, they were all... Um, Germanic people, and they all came from the northern part of Europe, either southern Denmark or the, the sort of Schleswig-Holstein area, and the, the border of the, of the Roman Empire was the Rhine River in the west and the Danube in the east, and all of the Germans used to be outside, beyond those rivers, and then when they began to invade, they came across the rivers and poured into the more civilised areas of the world. And anyway, Yule was the Gothic midwinter feast. Oh, really? Yeah. And what we get from, from Yule, of course, is this tradition of the Yule log, which was, again, a Gothic uh, festival. As far as I understand, what it used to do was, was half burn a log and then it was put away to be saved for the next year. It was a sort of symbol of continuity and that everything would be, would be fine. Unfortunately, we don't know a lot about Gothic religion, very little in the way of some records were kept. For example, uh, the Goths didn't write. They were illiterate. And so... We only have, you know, odd comments by Roman observers, all of whom thought they were pretty much beyond the pale. Did they, did they have mistletoe as well? Well, mistletoe is interesting. It seems to be that that belongs more to Scandinavia. I'm not too sure exactly what the origin of that is, because mistletoe in Scandinavian mythology, you know how everyone kisses under it at Christmas? Yes, I do. Well, I mean, we don't have mistletoe in it because 
In Scandinavian mythology, it's a dart of mistletoe that kills the god Balder, who's the, the really good god, the god of justice, and his death ultimately brings about the, the coming end of the world, you know, everything is sort of falling apart. Well, it's certainly changed uh, over the years. What about Santa? When did Santa Claus come into uh, being? Well, you see, there's a couple of Santa Claus traditions. This is where we're getting into a more distinctly Christian thing, you know. Um, Santa... Firstly, there's the, the, the stories about St. Nicholas. I, I don't know if you, you know them. He was a bishop in Greece, and he was a, a very sort of kind and good man. Um, bishops in the early church were very much concerned with pastoral care, directly looking after all of their flocks. And the story about St. Nicholas, which I first learned when I was a child, I don't know how many people read um, Mary Mates Dodge's novel, Hans Brinker. Or the... Oh, yes, I do. I remember reading that. And The Silver Skates. Yeah, well, there's wonderful stories in that where the mother... Dame Brinker tells her children the stories of Christmas on Christmas Eve because they're too poor to have a real celebration. And St Nicholas, what he does is he's his bishop in Athens and there are three poor girls who um, basically are going to suffer a fate worse than death. I don't think Dame Brinker explains that that fate is prostitution, but they can't marry because they have no dowries. And he overhears them crying, you know, what are they going to do? because um, they have no dowries and their father has no money and the brothel looks like it's the only fate for them. And he decides that the wealth of the church can be put to good use and he provides dowries for the girls. And this is one of the first Christmas presents, you know, and the, the origin of the notion that St Nicholas, which is one of the names for Santa Claus, Santa Claus is a, a, a corruption of St Nicholas, is a, a present giver. You know, he comes and he brings joy to these three poor girls. So when did this actually happen? Well, I think it's 5th century, the St Nicholas stories, but they're not history, really. It's the kind of stuff that's called hagiography, saint's life, and it has a lot of legendary elements in it. And I know in, in The Silver Skates, Dame Brinker tells another story about how he resurrected a young man who'd been murdered on the wayside by, by some, some thieves for his good clothes and, and his money. And we know that, that you know, that's sort of really in the realms of the miraculous. The dowries for the poor girls is a possible real story. What, uh, what about nativity scenes? I mean, we really centre on the Christian tradition now, don't we? And we have uh, the nativities in the churches and also the calendars and so on. Mm -hmm. When did that emerge? Was that uh, in recent times? No, again, if you look at art history, early Christian art is fairly limited, like when I say early Christian, say up till about the 6th century, because Judaism was always very concerned that you shouldn't actually depict uh, pictures of God, you know, these things were idolatry. But as the Christian tradition developed, and particularly when Constantine moved his capital over to Constantinople, and they began that tradition of the kind of art that's called Byzantine, with all that beautiful mosaics and gold things like that it began to be traditional to depict for example pictures at least of the madonna and child mary that was acquiring a great deal of admiration and, and praise herself and as the mother of jesus she was a very important figure and by the time you're going through the sort of later middle ages and getting up to the 11th to 12th centuries um Christian people in Europe actually had plays that where, where, where the, the prettiest and the most virtuous girl in town actually got to play Mary in the, the nativity play. And these things were really popular. You know, people loved them. Well, nativity plays are still pretty popular. How many concerts have you been to where people roll up beach towels and put them on their heads as the, you know, the shepherds and the wise men and so on? You've just revealed there, Angela. 
got kids. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, you know, and they always with an umbrella. I remember them very well, all those nativity plays. And the doll in the, uh, in the box with the shredded newspaper as the baby Jesus. Uh. Well, you know, there's some beautiful medieval literature from a number of different countries, but the stuff I know best is the English, of course, because I studied it at university. Um, there are whole cycles of plays, the Wakefield plays and the York plays, and they all have these wonderful enactments of biblical scenes and the, the uh, nativity scene is of central importance you know because it symbolizes that doctrine called the incarnation that god has actually come down to earth and become a human being to save all the other human beings and it has so many colorful elements it has the sheep and the um you know the the, the shepherds and the wise men who are sort of exotic you know worn with black face makeup and carrying gorgeous gifts and trinkets and things like that. And angels? Oh, and angels, yes. Well, of course, you know, you can hardly... Heavenly beings. <laughs> Carol, when did uh, the traditional I dinner come about, the turkey and so on? Well, that's an interesting question as well. I looked at some medieval banquet stuff before I, you know, came to talk to you today, and there certainly is evidence of huge amounts of feasting and the whole festival at Christmas, you know, we sing the, the, the carol, the 12 days of Christmas, and a lot of people don't quite understand it. In fact, my partner said to me yesterday, when does the 12 days of Christmas start? Is it today? It's the 12th day before Christmas. And I said, no, no, the 12 days is after. It runs between the 25th of December and the 6th of January, which is the Feast of the Epiphany. Right. And um, so a lot of the, the elements of the 12 days of Christmas, um, we, we um, still sort of... We, we now think it's a bit strange. All the lords are leaping and all the all the, the um, birds for some reason. But what they did have was an actual festival that lasted that long. And so we have medieval customs like the um, uh, Feast of Fools where, where the a servant is actually elected to be king of the, of the whole sort of revels and everybody's allowed to be much, much more liberal and relaxed than their dignity allows, you know, and they're kind of allowed to really let go and have huge fun. Um, something that I should mention, of course, which lots of our, your listeners will know, is that um, there are other faiths that have celebrations at this time of year, of course, too. It's Hanukkah. That's right, the Jewish uh, festival. Yeah, which is the, the festival associated with the beautiful candlestick, the nine-branched menorah. And that's an eight-day festival where each day one new candle in the, the menorah is lit until ultimately the whole of the uh, branch, the whole of the candlestick is burning. Okay, listen, it's terrific to talk to you, Carol. Yeah. Thank you for filling us in on uh, the history of all these different uh, cr uh, Christmas traditions. How are you going to spend Christmas, by the way? How am I going to spend Christmas? Well, um... A bit of feasting? Well, yes, definitely a bit of feasting. Um, the odd nativity play? Uh, yes, a church attendance. <laughs> one of those things that, that I think is is uh, an important part of it and I hope also to get some rest and recover from the year. Okay, Carol. Listen, it's our last time uh, to speak together. I've really enjoyed talking to you throughout the year and I hope you have a terrific Christmas. Yeah, and you too. And a Happy New Year. too. Thank you, Carol. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Carol Cusack, our medieval historian there. Isn't it interesting how far back it goes, all the way back to Persia and uh, the festival of Mithras. Amazing stuff. Carol Cusack. 2BL702 is now on the World Wide Web. 2BL Sydney homepage is a one-stop site which directs you to just about everything you need to know about your city. Event listings for entertainment, links to universities and colleges, up to the minute...